it was, you know, probably a good three, three, four long years where just was not providing, was not playing well, was working my tail off and was getting no results. So I was worn down mentally and physically uh, from injuries and just and just battle scars uh, of of not having any success. So it was not easy. Um, obviously, I think once I showed up to that first event at Southern Hills, though, uh, it was like a cape was lifted off me a little bit. I just felt comfortable uh, in my own skin finally again, which I don't know if if it just the game was had had worn me down so much that I realized that, you know, I had a personality outside of golf and golf didn't define who I was. Um, and I think for so long, I think I was a little worn down by that. I think um, results shaped kind of how my day went. And uh, once I kind of got away from golf a little bit, I, I finally realized there was a little bit more to life. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name is Tom Coyne. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are very fortunate on the podcast to have Smiley Kaufman joining us. Smiley, a PGA Tour winner, now on-course reporter for NBC covering the PGA Tour. He's about as friendly a guest as you could imagine, as his name suggests. But he's also a very thoughtful and honest one. Smiley talks with us about the experience of going from PGA Tour winner and contending at the Masters to struggling with his game and having to make a choice to, in effect, walk away from tour golf and pursue a new avenue for himself and his family. He's a humble, generous person who, at the end of the day, still loves golf as much as ever and as much as anyone. So I think you'll be inspired by his passion and by his experiences that are about much more than going on spring break with JT, Ricky, and Jordan. But before we turn it over to Smiley, I want to offer a big welcome to all the new members who joined us during the holidays. A lot of you received TGJ subscriptions this holiday season. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. And we hope you become active and engaged members in this membership we call the Broken Tea Society. One of the best ways to do that, of course, is to attend a Golfer's Journal event. And I am excited to share that the 2024 events calendar, the long-awaited events calendar for next year, it's going to be announced live on our Discord server on January 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Again, if you're new to the Golfer's Journal, go online and go to your account, and it's easy to get set up in our virtual clubhouse on Discord. Sharing these events, it's probably my favorite thing we do each year uh, because so much effort and time and excitement goes into making this calendar. This is our biggest offering of events ever, and it's just a lot of fun to share them with everyone all at the same time. It's like it's like for us, the NFL draft meeting, the Ryder, Cups, Ryder Cup picks being announced, etc. It's a blast. So we hope you'll join us for the announcement of the full slate of events Tuesday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern. The lottery for the Broken T2 Man, which is always our biggest event of the year, uh, of course, I'm not telling you the location yet. You'll have to tune in on Tuesday for that. But it is our biggest broken tea, uh two-man ever. Uh, it's going to go live immediately following the Discord announcement. So be ready for that. So you want to be tuning in and get your name in the hat for the two-man right away. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And now let's turn it over to Smiley Kaufman to hear about life and golf and what it's like announcing major championship golf and why his name might 
It might be unique, but might not even be the most interesting name in his own family. Smiley Kaufman here on the Golfer's Journal podcast. Where are you, Smiley? Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, just got back from uh, the Hero World Challenge and... Uh, yeah, kind of a lot cooler here than it was in uh, Nassau, Bahamas. But, you know, it's yeah, right. uh, time of the year that's pretty fun. But having a 10-month-old at home, so it's been pr- very busy once I got back. So a lot, a lot yeah. to be excited about this season. How's the baby? Baby's good. She started crawling while I was in the Bahamas. So she's kind of gotten uh-huh. on the move since since I left. So that's been a different, different change of pace, watching her kind of scoot around the house. Yeah, man. Once they start moving... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all it's game over. It's uh, yeah, pretty much, I guess, until they leave the house. So yeah, pretty uh, soon I'll be walking her down the aisle. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got two girls myself. It flies by. Um, so, hey, wanted to start, hey, start at the beginning. How does one become smiley? Where's your name come from? Tell me. And your brother's name yeah, is, lucky. is lucky. <laughs> walk, walk me through that. No, uh, it's a it's a fair question. I think a lot of a lot of people just kind of know my name. They don't really know the story behind it. Um, it's a family name. It's not one that's just kind of random. Which uh, it's got a lot of meaning to me. It's my grandmother's uh, cousin. Uh, he was an All American football player at Georgia Tech, and he was like a 185 pound defensive lineman. So in this day and age, that would that wouldn't make the walk up walk on yeah, roster right. for a defensive lineman, but I guess back in the day, uh, he he was I guess maybe quick enough or whatever. But he was an All American and at Georgia Tech and was from Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, he actually had an accident with a buddy. Uh, I think they were wrestling and severed his spine and was in a wheelchair the rest of his life. Oh wow! And my grandfather would drive to Baton Rouge and bring my uh, bring my dad, and they would stop by Smiley's house to see him and. My dad was always really inspired um, by Smiley and the way he lived his life and just uh, always knew that he wanted to name his first son after him, uh, just the way he lived and just always was very, very inspired by the guy. And um, and then also when I was born, uh, was named Smiley. We also did the same thing when we'd go to Baton Rouge. He would take us by Smiley's house. So I also oh, wow. got to meet him. Uh, he passed away when I was about nine or 10 years old. So uh, it's really cool to know my namesake, but my brother's side, uh, we'd have to get him on cause I don't really know the story. I don't think it's quite as, quite as cool as that one, but, uh, it's definitely interesting. You know, that, uh, it's nice that everybody around here knows our names and doesn't ask twice because right. it's, you know, we just, I just always expect, uh, that people have heard my name before. So it, it makes it a little less awkward, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And smiley, I imagine it means, you know, growing up with a name like that. It's, it seems to suit your disposition as well. You seem to be a positive yeah. kind of guy. And yeah. It, and I wonder like, does having a name like that influence you that way? You can't like grow up being like a goth kid wearing black and listening to the Smiths. If your name, no, if your name's out. smiley, it's not going to work. It worked out. Yeah, yeah it did. So it suits it, you. That's fantastic. I always hated when kids called me frowny growing up. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh so wanna talk about the your you know, you had a great year uh with NBC broadcasting and wanna talk about that transition. Um just walk me through how it happened. 
Well, it all started at, in the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. I got an opportunity to work for ESPN Plus in their feature group coverage. And so that was the first time I was exposed to the media side of, of covering golf. And I thought it went really well. I had a passion for talking about the game. And it just allowed me to kind of be able to speak my mind about what I saw. And and it, it really, for me, it, it connected me back to the game that I love that for so many years uh, had been giving me a lot of heartache and just haven't been able to see the shots that, that uh, you know, I, I see the shots, but I haven't been able to hit those shots. So it's fun to kind of explain the game from a pro's perspective of, uh, you know, playing with all these players that I cover now. Um and it, I felt like it went well, and I got an opportunity the, a couple weeks later at the U.S. Open to work uh, feature group coverage for for Peacock on uh, at, on their uh, that feature group stuff at the Country Club, and it, it also went well. And I, I was thinking to myself, man, I just I want to be doing this full time because you know this is something that I really enjoy to do. I, I, I love connecting with the players and. I did a couple more events that fall, and then uh, NBC saw enough, I guess, to where they wanted me full-time walking the fairway. So it was definitely a blessing, the fact that, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, it wasn't even an op. I never even thought about doing this. So, yeah. Um, and this is obviously 2022, and this entire first year has been, it's been amazing going to so many amazing events that that I just really enjoyed you know, being a part of and from the Ryder Cup to the Open to the U.S. Open, um, really just just an incredible year. Not a bad gig, man. It's very, very, very cool. And we're very happy for you. Was it weird, though, you know, when you're you're rolling up to a tournament and you're used to showing up with a caddy and golf clubs and now you're out, you're showing up with with a microphone uh, <laughs> did that. That's got to feel a little like, wait, eh, where do I, what do I do? Where do I stand? What was that like? Um, the transition wasn't that bad, honestly. The, uh, I would say the biggest difference is the amenities that the PGA Tour players have and the nice locker rooms <laughs> and the courtesy cars. So you kind of go from that to rental cars to TV compounds that are dirty, dusty, to porta potties. The, uh, so, so the quality of the travel and, and on site experiences are a little different, but. Um, still there, still a part of it. Um, still got the credential, and that gets me to lets me go wherever I want. So, uh, with that being said, you know, it wasn't that big of an adjustment. I just wanted to be out there. I, I like being out on the PGA Tour week to week, and uh, for me, it was an opportunity that um, I definitely couldn't pass up. For sure. What was the reaction from your friends out there? Uh, you know, when they turn around, they're like, yo, smiley, uh, with the microphone, uh, you know, was, was the ribbing, was it supportive? Yeah, it was very supportive. And, you know, for the most part, I stay out of the way. I, I really, I let the guys, you know, I never liked to be bothered when I was out there unless I sought out somebody because I just think this game requires a ton of mental focus and I don't want to be the reason why they get out of any type of rhythm that they were in. So I, I stay out in front. I, I, at, at times will, you know, chit chat with the guys down the fairway. If I feel like if I, cause sometimes you just walk close enough to them and they'll come talk to you themselves, but it's not something that um, I'm trying to do a ton of, but yeah, no, 
it, they were always been from a support standpoint, great. Um, and I would say too, that, you know, it, they've been great with information as well when I've had questions because they've, they've been able to ones, you know, to, to let me know what they feel with their wedges, you know, like if it's going through the turf, right, how are the bunkers? How is the greens reacting? Like uh, those are questions I ask players all the time that they've been very good with as far as giving me really, really quality answers because I would be able to figure it out if I had my clubs, but I don't. So it's, (laughs) there's something with being able to do it yourself and see it yourself to be able to, kind of make that leap well you're good at it what do you think in your life prepared you for doing this aside from being a golfer because the you know a pro golfer skill sets don't necessarily translate to being a good on-course reporter uh why do you think you've been you've had success with it that's a good question uh, i've always been very outgoing um i i feel like you know i, I seek people out with for relationships i, I like having conversations so I think that's part of it. You kind of have to have an extrovert type of uh, personality to to be able to talk to a lot of different people and feel comfortable uh, speaking with them. But also, you know, I think growing up, too, as a kid, I was never afraid to take on anything um, at school when it comes to whether it was public speaking for like our student government, all that sort of things. Like I was um, all in on being a part of um you know, being a part of the student government stuff. So that, that to me was maybe a a one step. I I never turned down any leadership opportunities. So I think I always felt comfortable um, speaking to other people and, and just being a part of um, decision-making processes. And I know that didn't really answer your question as far as uh, why, what was my, my training, because my training really was just playing golf you know, for, for the last 25 years of my life. But I would say the communication side, um, I would say it would probably just my schooling. And, and I had a marketing degree at LSU that did a lot of stuff with groups. And so I feel comfortable speaking. And uh, I would say that's probably part of it, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it suits a certain personality. And, you know, there are other parts of your life where you're, uh, yeah, because there's golfers who, who don't have that extroverted personality, for sure. <laughs> and you might not want to listen to on a microphone. What was the learning curve like in terms of becoming a reporter? Uh, you know, how long did it take to get you up to speed? Uh, can you remember that first time when the mic came to you uh, and what that oh, yeah. felt like? Yeah, my my first call was my probably the the most wrong I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah, no, it was at Southern Hills and Will Zalatoris hits it in the right rough and on the 10th hole and kind of down in a Bermuda lie. And, and I've never worked with equipment before. So I got the headset on and it's just straight static. I'm like, cause it's kind of down in this wool area on 10. Yeah. And so I, I really can't hear anything. So I can't hear the guys bringing me in or anything. So I just start talking and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't see how he can get it close to this front pin. There's a big deep bunker short of the green and, pins tucked in close to the front bad wide into the Bermuda. It's got to get it over this small tree. And I just thought, you know, I don't think he can get it inside of 40 feet and he gets up there and just whacks this wedge straight up in the air and hits it to like four feet. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, come on, dude, Nailed it. are you really doing this to me? And I can't, and I just hear, <laughs> it's, so 
Yeah, I mean, my start was like, oh man, I, I got I got a lot to improve on, and and I don't think I've been more wrong about a shot since then. Uh, <laughs> so just kind of a wild start. Well, being new at anything, there's, you're gonna, we're all going to make our rookie mistakes. Certainly, the part of the uh, learning any process was was there a moment when you thought, you know what, I can do this. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's been plenty of moments like that, but you know, the adrenaline gets going for me in, in this, just as like, if I'm playing a golf tournament down the stretch, I, I remember at the century this past year when, when Colin Morikawa was giving up the lead and I'm, I'm with John Rom's group. And so I feel the, the golf tournament starting to switch and feeling like, wow, John Rom might win this. And now I'm like juiced up, ready to go. Like I'm playing, playing the tournament. So uh, coming down the stretch and, and I felt like I got better. Like the more, the higher leverage the situation was, the better I feel like I was, um, better I felt like I was doing because the situation called for me to be, you know, very serious and, and explain what's, what's going on and, and kind of set the scene. And so that was probably the first time like this year where I was like, okay, I, I, cause you always wonder how you're going to do under pressure speaking. I know how I would do playing under pressure, but talking and speaking under pressure how how does that go so um there's definitely been tons of learning curves this year as far as like when to when to sometimes you have something to say that that isn't relevant um there's there's time to really only say nothing and i think over the course of the year i've been able to figure out when 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 to lay out when to speak up when to when to bring people in and that just takes experience, really, because the first show I did when I look back to where I am, where I was to where I am now, just all the different intricacies of the job, you know, I feel like I'm just better uh, with experience and definitely having to work with a ton of very talented people as well. I mean, worked with so many great announcers that have just given me great advice on on how to do the job. And that that's it. That has helped as well. What's the what's it like with the the broadcast team and the announcers you're working with? Do you guys hang out? Do you go out and hang out after uh, after a round? I always wonder what the dynamic is uh, among yeah. the uh, the broadcast team. Yeah, we catch dinner. We we go get a drink. You know, we, it's we talk about our round like we do, like we played, really? and we, you know, kind of like how junior golf used to be or amateur golf with on a college team. Everybody get around dinner and you walk through your entire round. We we kind of do the same with the broadcast. We we talk about it's like ah you know I shouldn't have said that or it's like can you believe that what he was doing on that hole because that was the dumbest thing I've seen this entire year and we we talk about that half more than half the time at dinner. Um, I'm a golf junkie. I, I can talk golf all day. So luckily I'm surrounded by um, announcers as well that that love the game and love talking about it. So looking back on this year, uh, give me a personal highlight or a pinch me moment or um, something where you're like, yeah, that's uh, that was really yeah. something. Um, I would probably say two of them. I was working um, the U.S. Open and I was with the final group, like the last 11 holes. So I kind of got to watch what it's like in the final group of a major and what that looks like because I was I got switched on to Ricky and Noto was with Wyndham. So I was just strictly covering Ricky, but I also got to watch the winner of a major championship of, and how to kind of treat that situation um, with the person that's going to win at the golf term, even though it's a major, just watching kind of 
how Noto was working and um, just the crowds and managing that as well. So that was like one, but the biggest one would have been the Ryder Cup. Just, I think, mm. walking down that first fairway on Friday, just it was just a really cool experience for me. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, what's really interesting about your career and you're young and you've had this really interesting multifaceted career already is that you say being around the final group in a major, you were in the final group of a major <laughs> in, in 26, not that long ago, uh, in 2016. So how did you get into golf, Smiley? What was your, uh, I mean, I, I guess your grandfather was a coach at UAB. Yeah. So grew up in a golf family. What was, uh, what, how early did you start and when did you start having success? Uh, I started golf at a pretty early age. My my parents both played golf at LSU. That's where they met. So they had a golf club in my hands, opposed plastic clubs, uh, pretty early and often. And I loved it. And I was I was good at everything that I did from a sports standpoint: basketball, golf, swimming, diving, uh, baseball. It didn't matter. I was good at it. I I've always had really good hand eye coordination. Uh, been a very good athlete. And eventually, you know how it goes with kids. They eventually kind of wind down to to one either one sport or two sports and for me it was uh golf during the summer and i would play um basketball during the winter and that those are my two sports i played golf obviously all the way through my career but basketball um played on our high school team all the way through um our senior year so being on both sides of 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 that i think for me at an early age it allowed me to get away from the game a little bit uh to where i wasn't just obsessed with it um until i got to college where i realized wow if you're going to be able to play this for a living there's no off off days you know you you can't take three months off and you know for me with basketball i would i would put the clubs away you know right around september September, October, and pick it up in February. So I, I was taking five months off out of the year. Um, my first 18 years of, of being on the earth, uh, I guess you could take out maybe so from eight to 18 or something, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I really feel like I was always good at an early age. I won at pretty much every single level that I played at. I would say that I was probably a little better earlier um, when we start to compare um, other other golfers at my age. I would say I won pretty much everything I played in before I was 12, 13 years old. Um, I grew probably right around there um, to what I'm at today, which is six one or give or take. And I kind of struggled a little bit uh, here and there in, you know, late early high school uh, with my growth spurt in my golf swing. Uh, but I was always a great putter. So I was able to make up, uh, for just kind of being a little off ball striking wise, but, um, and I was, I was decent in college. I was actually fairly average, uh, with, cause I just wasn't great ball striker. And then I figured out my ball striking my senior year. And that's what kind of led me to my really hot, uh, start to my, my, uh, professional career. It was very hot indeed. So you win in 2015, you win the Shriners again, you know, have a good run at the Masters in 2016. And, you know, people hearing that would say, man, uh, I mean, and there are people who have accomplished far less in golf and, you know, are still out there and still grinding. Or people said, if I had that talent, I would I would never uh, I would keep chasing and grinding for the rest of my life. Uh, conversely, we just had Padraig Harrington on the podcast. <laughs> you talked about players who have most players have a two-year sort of hot streak and then are quite never quite the same 
Um, so talk about you, your decision to, um, to go away from professional golf. Uh, was it a specific thing in your swing or just a realization or did you just want to try something else? I was not getting any results. And I think that's, was the main thing that kind of led me to just the opportunity just to see if I liked it. Um, I had no intentions of leaving the professional game until I ran into something that I felt like was a great opportunity for not only myself, uh, from a career standpoint, but for my family as well. Um, it was, you know, probably a good three, three, four long years where just was not providing, was not playing well, was working my tail off and was getting no results. So I was worn down mentally and physically, uh, from injuries and just, and just battle scars, uh, of, of not having any success. So it was not easy. Um, obviously I think once I showed up to that first event at Southern Hills though, uh, it was like a cape was lifted off me a little bit. I just felt comfortable uh, in my own skin finally again, which I don't know if if it just the game was had had worn me down so much that I realized that, you know, I had a personality outside of golf and golf didn't define who I was. Um, and I think for so long, I think I was a little worn down by that. I think um, results shaped kind of how my day went and uh, once I kind of got away from golf a little bit, I, I finally realized there was a little bit more to life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that must've felt like a weight off when you realize there are, there is, there are other things out there. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, were there any other things that you were thinking about or considering, um, aside from, you know, broadcasting, which is, it sounds like it sort of came to you. <laughs> um, but were there, uh, were there other things in the back of your mind? Like, what if I tried this or tried that? Yeah, no, luckily I got down, uh, I didn't have, I didn't have to get down that road too far. You know, yeah. the, I was pretty lucky in the first thing that I tried, uh, went very well and I realized it was a natural at it. So that helped a ton. You know, I, I don't know what I would have done outside of that because it, it would have been probably go back and still tr continue to try to play because I still would have had opportunities to continue to play at the professional level with my PGA Tour status, being a past champions member. So probably continue to grind and hopefully yeah. that I'd start playing better, but I, I have started to play better. And I think the, the biggest key to that has been, you know, just getting away from the game, you know, just not having a care of what I was working on and, and attaching a result to a golf shot, which when you're not playing well and you see one bad shot, it's, it's like what went wrong. And it's just this constant, uh, fix, fix, fix. And to where you have to be perfect. And, um, and I think my perfection, my perfection mentality worked really well when I was playing well, but when I was playing poorly, it, it didn't really mesh quite as well because I always wanted to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's a hard game to be perfect at for sure. I was going to ask you, how is your game now? Uh, how are you playing? And uh, are you ever tempted to give it another go? Um, I would say I was playing better earlier in the year uh, when I didn't have time to work on anything. And once the fall came around, I started to work on stuff and I just immediately got worse. <laughs> and so I don't know what it is with me when I start to go and work on something, because when I go out and play, I can't turn my brain off of what I'm trying to do. And I'm better off not not working on anything. It, it's honestly, it's the weirdest thing, but the less going on my in my brain, the better. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, it's nice to just be able to play without expectation. It's like, yeah, sometimes that first round of the season is uh, can be your best because you don't have any expectations and <laughs> you don't know. You're just playing golf instead of playing yeah. golf swings. So um, while you were going through that process and struggling with your game, I mean, social media was tough on you. How, how did you deal with that? And and what role did your friendships on tour play in uh, in dealing with that? Yeah, I had a really tough time dealing with it, to be honest. I mean, I, I just, I know the people that were giving me a hard time wouldn't tell it to my face. And yeah. I think that was the most difficult thing was I I wanted to play better, to prove people wrong, because I knew I was talented. And, and there's a lot of people that believed in my talent that had watched me play before. Um, my colleagues as well, they, they knew how good I was. But for whatever reason, I just could not get over the hump Um and I think it was it was causing me a lot of anxiety that I didn't realize at the time, just how much it was bothering me. And if I would have done anything different when it came to that, I would have gone and, and talked to somebody about what I was going through, um, because it it's kind of this way with our professional, really any professional athlete, we are we train ourselves to not be breakable, and we want to be able to take on anything that comes our way and that's and that we, we we should be able to handle criticism we should be able to handle a bad break um anything that happens in the game of golf i mean just being able to handle any type of adversity is part of the job and i don't think i'd ever in my life experienced just general i wouldn't i mean bullying would probably be a good way to describe it but i, I would say that would be the genre of where I felt like at times I, I just didn't know how to handle that type of situation because it's never happened to me in my life. And I'm, I'm human. I, only, I do care about what people think of me. I, I want to be a good person to other people. I, I want to, you know, get along with everybody. And so I, I really struggled with the fact that, um, that I was kind of a laughing stock for a while. Um, it, it was not because of my talent. It was, I just couldn't quite figure out the game and why I couldn't hit hit it where I was looking. <laughs> and yeah. frustratingly enough, I, I wasn't able to necessarily figure it all out. But I'm not the first person to go through something like this in the game of golf. And I think looking back on it now, it's given me some perspective of, you know, that I wish I would have known that more people had gone through what I was going through not only in golf, but in, in sports and, and, and in non-sports. And people are dealing with it every day. But uh, it was kind of the rise of the, of the social media golf culture as well. You know, when I yeah. came out, social media wasn't that big of a deal. But as the years went on, it started to really ramp up where it just it was just kind of bad, bad, bad timing, uh, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, the golf Twitter toxicity was was maybe at its peak or, or rising certainly at the time. So, so bad timing there. And as you say, the frustration of the, it being sort of nameless faces who can't, uh, who certainly couldn't play well enough uh, to play at your level, lobbing that criticism is uh, it's, 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 it's gotta be tough. Did um, who were your, your friends on the tour and, and what, what support did they lend to you during that? Um, You know, my friends have always been, you know, like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Patton Kazire, JT Poston, Trey Molinax. I mean, those were those were guys I could really lean on. 
uh, when it came to advice. Graham McDowell as well. He was he played for my granddad at UAB. Um, you know, Keegan Bradley as well. He was, um, you know, a guy that I played some practice rounds with as well. But, you know, it's it's tough because there's not, not a whole lot you can say to a, a person uh, that really just like, you know, they just can't get out of their own way. And it's just going to take something for them. It's going to have to be them to figure it out. It's it's not going to be anybody else. Uh, because once you're in that in that mode where you feel like you can figure it out and it's just you're you're so close, you're working hard and you don't want necessarily too much advice because too much advice could be uh, what send you down a wrong path. And, you know, it. I was really good my first couple of years about really having small ears and, and not listening to what any anybody else said and just kind of doing my own thing. And I really laughed at people that kind of did what I did my, my last couple of years on tour, which was changing, just changing because you were good enough when you got there. And the only thing that was the wrench in my stuff was injuries uh, definitely changed how I swung the golf club. And I felt like I couldn't make the adjustments on the golf course. And once you feel like you can't make the adjustments on the course, you really do need to find the fix because it is the most important thing to do in golf, which is being able to, to react to what your golf ball is doing and to be able to fix it. Yeah, for sure. I asked you that question so that you might bring up Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas so that I could then ask you about, of course, SBK 16. I'm sure I should ask you how tired you are about getting asked about that, but I just, I don't, I don't want any details or, or whatever. I just think it's interesting. Um, that did raise your profile, I think, in a, in a positive way that, 100%, that uh, yeah. yeah, that, that might <laughs> have made an, an ESPN or NBC say, Hey, this kid's got a lot of personality out there having fun. Um, I'm curious just as a, as a, but Obviously, you probably don't do that anymore. <laughs> now that you have um, a 10-month-old, do you guys yeah, still no. get together and go on trips or do fun stuff together? Yeah, we went on a trip last year after Hilton had uh to about Palmetto Bluff. We had all all the kids there too. Love so Palmetto was, Bluff. Yeah, it's a great spot. Uh we had a great time too. Uh it was you know, really good quality time with some great people and uh, it's funny seeing the kids run around and just we're just in a different stage of life right now. <laughs> I would say so. What you're with your wives and and there and kids running around and uh, Palmetto Bluff is pretty cool. We went it's down beautiful. there. Uh, we beautiful. went down there last year and, and uh, rented a place for spring break. We had a blast. Um, so, but on those buddies trips, on that on that golf buddies trips, I'm just curious. Buddies trips sort of folks kind of uh, take on certain roles. You'll have the planner. You'll have like the gambler. <laughs> The, the the late guy, the drunk yeah. guy. Uh, what were the roles that you guys migrated towards? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question right there. I feel like the planning is is all of the girls. Uh, I think they oh, yeah. were all the planners. Uh, none of us in the group are planners besides, I would say Ricky's would be the planner if you had to pick one. Uh, the late nighters were definitely me and JT. Uh, we played a lot of gin late night, um, which was fun. Uh, Ricky's definitely the, he goes to bed early. He always has. And Jordan was sick, uh, from the week before at Hilton head. He'd almost won that week, but he was kind of banged up a little bit sick. So he was kind of going to bed a little early, but, um, what are the other roles you said? Just, well, you got the gambler, the gambler, uh, yeah, someone wants J- the action, the action guy. Uh, 
normally that's Jordan. He's always in on the action, but he was going to bed early. So it was JT and I. <laughs> there you go. Do you still, so is there a holiday party coming? Uh, what do you, as the holidays approach, what do you guys do uh, for, for that? And I wonder, like, do, do professional golf, do you exchange gifts? Like, um, no, <laughs> just Christmas cards. Uh, okay. You know, we're so all in different, yeah. I guess Ricky and, and JT will probably hang out. Um, I'll see the speeds here in, in, in the next coming weeks. Uh, we're going to go over there and, and visit with them. So yeah, no, it, uh, I enjoy quality time with them. Um, you know, they're, they're all been, you know, have had such a great impact on my, uh, my career just from a, being such a good friend and playing a lot, a lot of golf with them and, you know, there's some of the best players in the world, which which helps. It can't hurt anything when it comes to learning more about the game. Uh, so that's that's always been good for me. But no no gift exchanges. And sometimes for going on a trip, we'll we'll bring a bottle of wine or something, but nothing nothing too crazy. I was just curious because I would wonder what you would possibly get for uh, a PGA tour. You can't like get them a box, a dozen balls. They're hard to know? shop for. Like, that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, for sure. T- tell me about going to the Ohoopy match club during COVID with, uh, I think you went with JT and Spieth. What was that? Actually, was that I didn't like? get the invite. Um, I was not there. Um, I did had a, a chance to interview him about that though. And they, and I saw pictures and videos and they had, ah, that's what it was. You had the evidence yes. of the, uh, of the action. <laughs> they had a serious match there. It sounded like. Apparently so. Uh, automatic one downs, which is one of my favorite games. Uh, you can't, you can't turn your brain off there because there's 18 holes and one loss a hole can get make that thing go out of control a little bit. Automatic. I've never played automatic one down. So you go one down and you're in the in the Nassau just boom. Yeah, starts just again. bet starts. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's dangerous, man. <laughs> Every time um, you lose a hole, a new bet starts. Ouch. Yeah, it's fun. Did you? Uh, I read somewhere that did you and JT make a bogey in a scramble? Yeah, it's this in week. Professional the tournament. Yeah, it's happen? the Grant. It's the Grant Thornton mixed team event this week. But um, it was, um, yeah, we. I mean, we were lucky to make a bogey too. It whipped in. <laughs> we had we had two five footers for bogeys. He missed it, and I curled one in there. And I was like, man, we we have got to figure our game out because we're we're not good right now. It was our fourth hole, and yeah, it was it was a tough scene. Tough scene indeed. Um, you had a great thread recently on Twitter about the things that you've learned uh, after you know a year watching golf from the broadcaster's perspective. Um, run us through a few of those things. Yeah, let me pull it up. So the first one was aim point is here to stay, and I think there's just so many of the players now that are that are using the system. I would say a majority, uh, so over fifty percent, I would say are are using the system and. I, I listen. I I don't use it myself, but I understand why people do, mm-hmm. and why players see it as an advantage. Because how often your eyes play tricks on you, and and just it just gives you another way to read read pots. It's just more information to help you come up with a a solution week to week. And um, they've these guys have figured out how to how to do it with the green level green leveler devices on the putting green. Um, they'll they'll spend hours. They'll just they'll go and stand on a slope and say, uh, "This is two point one," and they'll put the leveler down and say, "Oh, it's two point 2. And then they'll feel it in their feet, and they, that's how they practice. So they know wow. 
what the slope is. This isn't something that that is is not a practice skill. It's just like winding a golf ball up. You know, winding a golf ball up is a skill. You know, people always talk about using the line of your ball. Well, you have to practice doing it. And that is uh, if if you realize that I've been using a line of my ball for the last year, but I'm really good at aiming a foot left with the line. It's like, well, why, you know, that's a skill that you have to be able to, to practice. So, right. Um, the next one was the, uh, one of the most difficult shots in the game, which I, I, I think is the tucked right flag or the tucked left flag with the wind going the opposite direction. And I think that shot to me was, was one that I, I always used to kind of play just a pull shot, just kind of, especially right to left winds. I would ride it. I never really liked cutting it up against a wind. And I've been wrong more often than not early on in the year where I was expecting players to ride the wind and they wouldn't do it. They just would not do it. They would hold balls up into crosswinds so often to make the ball fly straight. And it wasn't a shot that I was particularly good at when I was playing. But the best in the world, they hold it up into crosswinds to make it go straight. So, and it, what it effectively does, it makes the green play bigger because, first off, when a when you're riding the wind with a golf ball, it's effectively picking up momentum in the air. It's it's gaining speed with the wind, and if you're if you're holding it up against the wind, the ball is slowing down as it's going up against the wind, which typically mm. makes the ball go a little shorter as well. So you got to factor in normally an extra club, but as it's going slower up against the wind, it, it tends to land softer. So that's another way to make the green bigger um, is doing that. So as we move on to my list, this, Fascinating. this was just after a nice cup of coffee. I'm just firing these away. Um, that was great. <laughs> uh, I always was under the impression that, everybody hit a stinger off the tee with an iron. If they wanted to, if it was a three or two iron, they got it down on the ground quickly like Tiger Woods would. And after watching a whole year, I tell you, most of these guys just hit your stock shot three iron. Just get it in play because really a stinger shot is complicated to hit because you're hitting down on it. You have to aim left because the steepness makes the ball start further to the right. So there's just a lot of variables that, that make hitting a stinger complicated where just hitting your stock shot is, is just good enough. Um, and the best wedge players in the world fight it down. I think most, most, most players understand that. Um, I think front pins downwind uh, and firm greens would be the exception to that. They would probably hoist it up in the air in that situation. But uh, yeah, golf's a frustrating game. These, these players get pissed just like everybody else does. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that the good ones really verbalize with their caddies after like, it's just a good solid reset because one of the things that, that cue you mentally is to be able to, okay, what, what are we doing right now? It's that one shot of a mentality. Like, you, you know, everybody always says, you just got to take one shot at a time. Well, what, what does that mean when you're pissed? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, so easy. It's, it's being able to take that de- deep breath to be able to, okay, what are we doing here and verbalizing it? And I think that's important in, in not only golf, but a lot of different areas in your life that you can take a deep breath, talk out what you're trying to do. So yeah. that's one thing I've noticed. And then 
Uh, just the driver being able to have a change-up pitch for the long players, you know, a go-to shot, whether it's teeing it down, hitting a cut, uh, that's something I see from the long players. Um, and then just routine. Routine, just being able to start a stopwatch and and have your routine be consistent. And it, your routine doesn't have to be perfect. I think a lot of people think their routines need to be dialed in um, the exact same every time because conditions – you know, sometimes affect that with gusty winds or just being able to take a little extra minute on a tough pitch shot on like, how is it going through the turf? So it doesn't have to be, it's not a perfect science, but when, when it is like, if, if nothing comes up, it should be, you know, for pretty much within a second on, on how you move into the golf ball. It was interesting. You said there that, uh, in your post that most tour players are within a couple seconds of each other in terms of their 100%. their routine, which is pretty wild, actually. Yeah, it's 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 from, you know, from the, the amount of looks they take to how they shuffle their feet to what they do with their arms as they walk in. Do they where do they grip the club? I mean, it's it's down to because um, it, it's what it is. You're training your brain to expect a routine, you know, like this is yeah. part of handling nerves is is running through a routine yeah do they i mean there are some outliers for sure with longer yeah, routines do the uh does the game feel spectating it versus watching it on you know on the tour level does it feel slower um <laughs> at times it does the three i, gonna, I know, hate i hate when they play threesomes um it just <laughs> it takes too long uh twosomes is way better but yeah no it it definitely feels like the aim point can be slow at times because here's the problem with it. it. It's aim point doesn't take that long to do. It's that you have to be doing it while other people's routines have already started and yeah. where you have to stand around the hole with through lines and, and not getting in yeah, the way yeah. with another, another player's through line or stepping on their line. And some players don't care. And I think it's, it pisses off a lot of players um, that don't have a respect for when a player's routine starts but you understand it from a pace of play standpoint. That's like, Hey, I got to get this done so we can go to the next hole and not be on the clock. So it's, it's two different ways of looking at it, but uh, I definitely know that, (laughs) that some players get a little frustrated with guys that overdo it a little bit. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, just want to finish this by a couple questions. Well, one favorite golf courses, uh, what are your favorite spots that you've played or, uh, maybe some place that you want to play? Uh, I played North Berwick this year, and that's one of my all-time favorite golf courses I've ever played. Yeah, um, Friars Head's up there for me. I love Friars Head, uh, and then just like you know your your normal basics up that are in the top ten. I've I've played some of those, the Augusta Nationals, the Cypress Points. Like those are obviously fantastic. It, it's more the what do I like to play? Like if if, if it were me, and to me, Friars Head was a a fantastic golf course, and. I'm sure there's other ones that come to mind, but I like playing Lynx golf. So North Barrick to me kind of opened my eyes to, I want to play more golf over there to experience um, just different, different styles, different tracks and uh, you know, where the game started. So I've never played St. Andrews. That's, that's on my list. Um, so I, I would say that that whole road over there, just getting to play Carnoustie and um, Muirfield, all those amazing golf courses. 
No, you got to come with the Golfer's Journal. I know we've got some Scottish trips in the works. We have some folks going to Muirfield this year, in there fact, uh, that nice. I'm hosting. And, I, and funny you say North Berwick. I got my email this morning confirming my tea time there for the day before. So It's incredible. Excited to get back there. It's a it golfer's is such, dream, man. It, oh, my gosh. It's just one cool shot after another. And then the second email came right after saying they were aerating the day before. But oh, who perfect. cares? It's yeah. <laughs> it's North Berwick. I don't care. Yeah, it'll I'm, be fine. I'm playing, I'm playing anyway. <laughs> Um, you were just down at the Hero. How's Tiger look? And uh, what's that event like, you know, with the limited field? And it's got probably has a different vibe. Yeah, it's pretty low key, to be honest. Twosomes was great. You know, everybody tees off in that same window. You know, Tiger looked pretty good, I'd say. He definitely looked rusty with his irons, not being able to kind of hit it pin high and shape shots the way he wanted to. You know, definitely a, a noticeable wimp, one that um, I think got just fractionally worse as the week went on. But he held up as far as just physically, I thought pretty well. I think he had some mental rust uh, when it came to finishing rounds off and just making just making some silly mistakes. And I don't know if that's just being rusty or just, um, you know, it was hot too. I think that had a lot to do with, I mean, if you watch it on TV, he was just drenched in sweat. So just the physicality of, of playing in a, a very warm environment, I think just kind of can wear on your mind as well. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of saw him fade every single day, like get off to good starts, but then kind of fade as the day went on. But distance was there. Um, I think I kind of go back and forth whether I think he can win again. Um, he definitely has the game. It's just are we going to be able to see him hold up long term? And if he can, then I think he I think he will be able to win. It's just you know, it's it's such a small sample, small sample size. Excuse me, and. You know, it, first off, it, it's just really good to have him back because the golf, the game of golf at the professional level right now is as broken as it as as you possibly can think when it comes to live golf and PGA Tour. And um, the PGA Tour really needs the shot of adrenaline of Tiger Woods being back. Yeah, and everybody does, and it would be it would be wonderful. Um, it's always good when when Tiger's around for sure. Do you have a take on the rollback required to ask? I'm curious, like, you know, statements have been put out. uh, There have been different stances from the tour, the manufacturers, obviously the USGA and the RNA, the broadcasters, broadcast partners have any opinion (laughs) on the rollback? Yeah, we just we just dropped a rollback rollback episode today on our on our podcast and um, we recorded it last night and it was. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do have some takes it. I think the main the main one is that it's not going to be till 2028. So we don't really know right now. And we don't know if, if these numbers that we're being told that it's just nine to 15 yards is if that, if that's going to be it. Cause if it's, if it's more than that, or the golf ball spinnier, then you're going to have guys talk about it a little bit more. But as we stand today, I think we got to wait till the players start doing their own, um, their own R and D and figuring out, okay, what is the golf ball going to be doing? So, um, tough to judge right now, but I, I'm, I'm probably for it more than I am against it. I wasn't really for the bifurcation, um, as much as I am for just the general rollback. I I'm for all, everybody in the game of golf playing this, you know, the same under the same set of rules, because I think it just complicates the game a little bit. If you had an elite ball versus an amateur ball, but I don't know. I think I think there's a, a lot of different arguments, and I can understand a lot of different ones for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, there's a lot of time uh, between now and then. 
So uh, we will see what happens. But a lot of opinions out there, a lot of outrage on all sides. So, um, and I'll leave you, uh, Smiley, can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, A lot going on in golf right now uh, for a broadcaster to be covering and talking about. So really appreciate the time. And uh, just want to leave you with the most important issue, of course, and that is uh, as a former Notre, as no, as a Notre Dame guy, our former coach, uh, Brian Kelly. How's that working out for you? Well, you tell me, what do you, what do I expect out of Brian <laughs> Kelly? What's the Notre Dame grievances, I guess? Um. Well, we never won the big one. Yeah. Uh, he. Well, the biggest grievance is he left and uh, went to LSU, uh, (laughs) which doesn't feel which is never a good feeling to be left for 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 someone else. Um, But that he couldn't get couldn't get it done like we were good enough for a a while and like Mm -hmm. players graduated and it was generally um, it was generally fine, but not able to get us over the hump. And then when he leaves, you know, you, you hear from people who said, you know, he was kind of a jerk, um, mm. but maybe he wasn't. I don't know. That's just the I think that's the narrative with everyone when they leave a position. Um, but uh, but that he was getting difficult to work with, etc. Mm. I don't know. Um, I don't know either. Uh, from my perspective, he's been uh, I think he's been aided by the transfer portal in the fact that we were we were left for dead after Coach Orgeron. We had 39 scholarship players when he took over. Um, yeah. So to potentially go 10-win season, 10-win season is impressive. Um, I think there's a culture at LSU now that we didn't have before. I think there's you're held accountable more, which is we needed that. He's, I think he's a good coach. Um, we've two years in a row, we've kind of had the worst unit on one side. So for our first year, we probably had the worst special teams unit in the country. And then this year, we probably had one of the worst defenses in the country. And especially this year, if we had a just a little better than average defense, I think we're in the playoff. I think that's how good we were offensively. So wow, it's going to be for him how these next set of hires go because the expectation in LSU is to win um, national championships, especially when you had it kind of served to you on a silver platter with as I mean, we have generational offensive players on our LSU team this year that one's going to win the Heisman and we're going to the relic West Tampa bowl. And that's just, that's not acceptable as an LSU fan to have that good of offense and be in Tampa at the end of the year. So he definitely it's 10 win seasons are great, but you have to be able to capitalize at LSU as, as all the coaches have before him, every single coach has won a national championship before him. So that'll be the uh, the big the big test is can he win the big one, like you said. Well, that's why he said he went there, as if he couldn't have accomplished it at Notre Dame for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, he plays golf. So I've heard that. Yeah, you should see it up with him. Smiley, thanks so much, man. Enjoyed it, man. Anytime. Uh, hopefully, uh, see you down the road and enjoy the golf over there across the pond as well. I will. I hope so too. Be well. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode, we strongly encourage you to become a member of the Golfers Journal, or if you already are, to share it with your friends. As a reader supported publication, we couldn't do it without you. We also couldn't do it without the help of our partners, and they are Titleist, Scotty Cameron. Footjoy, Linksoul, Omega, Charles Schwab, and BMW. We'll see you next time on the Golfer's Journal podcast. Bye.